journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Good afternoon, Shavua Tov. I hope you've got your suitcase, suitcase packed, your Bible open, for we are about to journey. And we are, in fact, in the journey of Yaakov, of our forefather Yaakov, who, where we left off last week, got swindled. He, he had to deal with the swindler, Lavan, and instead of getting uh, his beloved Rachel as a wife, he lands up marrying Leah. And we went through the entire argument that they had, and the end point was that Lavan said, just spend the Sheva Brachot, spend the seven days of the bridal celebration with Leah, I will then give you Rachel and you will work another seven years for me. And as all, as we know, he had obviously his own egotistical intentions. The reason why he wanted to keep Yaakov for another seven years was because the well of water, uh, that, that, that nourished the city was actually full and overflowing in the merit of Yaakov. And so this was one of his conniving moves. And well, what can we say? Yaakov um, complies, he agrees, and we are going to pick up now in chapter 29, verse 28. So it's chapter 29 of Genesis, verse 28. As always, if you have a question to ask on what we are learning or you have a comment, 34519 is our SMS number, 061-895-1019, our telegram number. Right, chapter 29, verse 28, Vayas Yaakov Cain. Yaakov complied, he agreed to his swindling father-in-law, Lavan. Vayimale Shvua Zot, he filled, he completed that week with Leah. Then Vayitenlo et Rachel Bito, lo Leisha. And uh, then Lavan gave to Yaakov, Rachel, his daughter, as a wife. And then if you recall, we said that um, there were two other sisters, Bila and Zilpa, okay, two maidservants. Um, and what we read last time was that Leah got the younger one. She got Zilpa. That was part of the, the swindling process because um, Lavan didn't want him to think that he was marrying the older one, so now we see the reverse. Vayiten Lavan Rachel Bito et Bila Shifrato La Shifra. He gives to his daughter Rachel, the her servant Bila, as a handmaid. So now basically Leah and Rachel have Bila and Zilpa as their handmaids, as was the custom in those days. The Yavo Gam El Rachel, he also marries Rachel. And then the saddest part of it all, Vayehav Gam et Rachel Milea, he loved Rachel more than Leah. The Yaavod Imo Od Shevashanim Acherot, he actually works for Lavan for another seven years. Now there's a few questions that we can ask over here. The first is to note that the Torah forbids a man from marrying two sisters. If you go and look in Vayikra, in the book of Leviticus, in chapter 18, verse 18, 
It says there, thou shalt not marry a woman in addition to a sister to be a rival to her, to have sexual relations with the second sister during the lifetime of the first. So as a Torah rule, rule you, a man cannot marry two sisters. And I just want to mention of here, let's talk about this marrying of many women. I think today if you speak to most men, <laughs> you know, they don't want to have more than one wife. We look biblically though. And we see that a man can marry more than one wife. And that really was the status quo for a long, long time. A thousand years ago, this law was abolished. Um, and we no longer are allowed to marry more than one woman at one time. Um, but nevertheless, <clears throat> in the time period where you could have more than one woman, you were not allowed to marry two sisters simply because it would cause sibling rivalry. So the question is, if we know that Yaakov kept the entire Torah, even before it was given, how did he marry two sisters? So one of the answers given in the Midrash is that the, the patriarchs, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, kept the Torah only while they were in the Holy Land. When they were outside the land of Israel, they did not, or they were not obligated to keep any of the commandments, except for the Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Nach, the seven universal ones, which pertain both to Jew and Gentile. And since the Torah had not been given yet, um, this would not, this would have been an unnecessary strictness, and that would be that. Interestingly, I want to read to you uh, a very interesting um, uh, story that we're given in the Oral Torah. It goes as follows. God will make a great feast in the world to come. First, he will give the cup. That means, you know, at the end um, when we do Birkat uh, Amazon, when we have a minion, um, you give the cup to either the Babalabait or to a coin if he's present, to the owner of the house or a coin to say grace after meals. So now we're, uh, the, we're told there is a great feast in heaven and it's coming the end of the meal and God is going to go and give the cup over which the Birkat Amazon is recited to Abraham. Abraham will say, I am not fit to lead the Birkat Amazon, the benching, since I had a son like Yishmael. And although Yishmael later repented, as we as we know, as we read in Chayasara, his children remained wicked. So Abraham excuses himself. Yitzchak is then given that opportunity, and Yitzchak also will will deny and say, "I cannot lead the Birkat Hamazon, since I had a son like Esav." Yaakov will say, "I will not lead the Birkat Hamazon." Because I married two sisters, even though the Torah forbids it. Moshe was then offered the cup, and he would say, I cannot lead it because I am not worthy of entering the Holy Land, neither in life nor in death. Yehoshua would be given the cup, and he would say, I cannot lead because I am not worthy of having children. And so... The story finishes off and it finally comes to King David. He'll say, give me the goblet and I will lead the grace after meals. And it says he would then lead it in a, a loud voice 
And as he says, Kos Yeshuot Esa Uvashem Hashem Ekra. This is a verse from Tehillim 116. Okay, chapter 116, verse 13. I will lift a cup of hope. I will call out in God's name. So King David, um, King David takes and does Birkat Amazon. So our question is, if we're saying that Yaakov did nothing wrong in marrying two sisters, why did he refuse to lead the benching? So say, some say that it's possible to say that even though Yaakov had not specifically commanded not to marry two sisters, since the Torah forbid it, it would still not be proper for him to lead the grace after meal at the greatest meal in the world, which in fact looks like and seems like that it is in fact the meal that we'll have when Mashiach comes. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. High FM, your station of choice since 2008. Right, so we were talking about Yaakov and that uh, Yaakov was really legally absolved from marrying two sisters, which is not allowed in the Torah and certainly not allowed today and wasn't even allowed when you're allowed more than one wife. But the plot thickens and we are now in chapter 29. We are going to be looking at verse 31. Vayar Hashem ki Leah. He saw that Leah, God saw that Leah was unloved so he opened up her womb, and Rachel remained barren. Now, look very, very, very carefully at these words. He saw that Leah was unloved. Now, it's pretty unthinkable to think that Yaakov actually hated Leah. You know, she was his wife, and although Laban had tricked Yaakov and switched brides on him, Leah didn't really have too much of a part in it. And Yaakov should actually have cherished her. He should have loved her all the more for being so eager, um, number one, to obey and honor her father, and furthermore, that she, she wanted to marry a tzaddik. Her intentions were completely, completely pure. Um, but... It does say, and also it doesn't say that he hated her. If you look at the verse just prior to 31, verse 30, it says that, He loved Rachel more than he loved Leah, which means that he loved Leah, he just loved Rachel more. So, why was she originally barren, Leah? What's going on over here? So, first of all, her destiny was that she was to be barren. Now, uh, we are told, um, and this is written in the Midrash Miram Loez, and it is so true as we understand it today, that when a woman struggles to have children, she can and does become depressed. She becomes dejected. She may not want to leave her house. Why? Because it's very painful. When you live in a society where you know other women are showing off their babies, one it's understandable that one feels abandoned, one feels unloved, and that was Leah's situation. It said that originally she was barren too, and she wept day and night praying for God to grant her a child. 
She had an even greater anxiety besides having to struggle with infertility just because of infertility is that she had another two uh, factors that affected her her um, her need to have children. And one was that she was apprehensive that Jacob would divorce her um, because of her infertility. And then she would have been forced again to marry Asaph. And as we said before, death would be better than being married to a criminal like Asaph. And then, of course, we are told the third reason why she was uh, so upset was that she was not very well loved by her townsmen, by the people around her, because they kept on saying, well, if she was an ethical person, she wouldn't have gotten involved in a plot with regard to her sister. And now look at her. She was trying to act the part um, of, of, of a saint. So the truth of the matter is, is that God saw her anguish. When it says that she saw, God saw that she was unloved, it was that she herself was feeling unloved. She was feeling abandoned. She was feeling terrible. And um, she too was being unloved. She felt unloved by Yaakov. She felt unloved by the townsmen. It was all her, uh, well, I won't say perception. It was a reality for her, but that was was her reality. Okay. Um, and then where it says, Virachel Akara, and Rachel was barren, one doesn't necessarily have to read Akara as barren, but Akara come, also comes from Akar, which means the main one, which means that although, um, you know, she was a wife, nevertheless, she knew in her heart of hearts that Yaakov did love Rachel more, and she was, in fact, um, in fact, a, 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 a second fiddle if, if you, if you wanted to. And she thought that maybe she's sinning, maybe, you know, she's, she, she's not deserving. It was a terrible, terrible position for her to, to be in. And we are also told that there was a great debate in the Heavenly Academy because in, Upstairs in the Heavenly Academy, they argued that Leah should not have children. Why? Because one of her descendants would be Zimri ben Salu. Okay, now Zimri caused 24,000 people to die because he was intimate with the Midianite woman. That whole story is told in the book of Bamidbar. Okay, but God said, God overruled that and he said, uh, she is a saint and does not deserve to be punished for her descendants. So the, one one has an incredible perspective over here biblically, and obviously it is understood tremendously now um, in today's time that a woman who does suffer from infertility um, can experience very, very negative thoughts, feel unloved, feel abandoned, feel, you know, uh, that, they're in, that they're, they're not good enough. And that, in fact, um, was all the feelings that Leia had. Uh, I've got a question that's just coming. Please explain again how Jacob was absolved from sister's marriage. He was absolved because he was living outside the land of Israel, where he was only obligated in the seven Noahide laws. And the other obligation, the other absolvement was, in fact, that the Torah did not need to be kept until the Torah was given. And that was 
many, many years later. So those were the two reasons why, um, why he was absolved. Right. Let us continue now that we actually understand why, uh, what, uh, Leah was feeling. Well, obviously God had Rahmonis on, on, uh, on, on Leah. And you'll see now that in fact he actually does reverse that, um, that decree that she shouldn't have any children. And in fact she has kids. Let's look at verse 32 of uh, chapter 29. Leah became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son, and she called him Reuven. For she said, God saw my suffering. Ki atta, because now, Yehevani ishi, now my husband loves me. Right, before we get into the various names of the, of, of, of the, of the, uh, of the children, just a little bit of background that it says that children are named via Ruach HaKodesh. They are named via divine inspiration, and that applies to each and every single person. When we have a child, even though we have many discussions, and the husband and wife particularly um, have that, 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 that discussion and decide what they are going to name their child, unbeknownst to most people, you are actually inspired by divine inspiration as to what to name the child. And here I'm not talking about the English name or any other nickname you're going to be talking about, but rather the Jewish name of the child. Now, why would we need divine inspiration? Because very interestingly, we are told that the name is actually, if we can put it in, 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 in modern terms, that the name is the chemical makeup it's the it's the spiritual DNA of the child. We know that the Hebrew alphabet is um, not just an alphabet, but it is the letters. The letters are formed in such a way that the, these letters were the the letters and the words that God used to create the world. So the Hebrew language is not just a cultural phenomena. Um, you know, a dialect that just got picked up and whatever, um, you know, found its way through history. The Hebrew language is the language of the Bible, and it is the language of the Bible because God created those letters, and with those letters, he created the world. There is a lot of discussion in Hasidic thought around that. And therefore, when we call something by its Hebrew name, as simple as calling a dog a kelev or a donkey a chamor. If one is spiritually in tune and one understands the power and has the knowledge of what and of what the Hebrew letters describe and and uh, um, can do, you will actually understand the essence of that object. So when we call a donkey a chamor. Let me give you that as an example. A chamor, being a donkey, comes from the shorish, comes from the root words, chomer. <clears throat> okay? 
So chamor um, and chomer means materialism. Now, isn't it ironic um, that when we want to talk about, you know, I'm working like a donkey. Okay, it's not only that a donkey is a schlepper, but it means that like materially, like I am, I'm, 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 I'm chained to the material world. I'm working like a donkey. A donkey is an example, is, is a metaphor for materialism in this world. And there are many, many times when one will look at verses of the Torah talking about a donkey and rabbis will interpret it that it's not the donkey. It's talking about materialism because chomer and chamor basically mean or are from the same root. Now, if we take that further, uh, one step before we get to human beings, we know that when, and we spoke about this long time ago, when we were learning the book of Genesis, that when um, uh, Adam, Adam, the first man, was put in the Garden of Eden, he was given the job of naming all the animals in the garden, and they each passed by him. So how did he decide to call a bird a bird, a dog a dog? Like, where did he get those things from? It said because he was so spiritually connected, he was so spiritually sensitive, he saw the makeup, the spiritual makeup of the animal, and he named him accordingly. So when he called a donkey a chamor, he saw that the donkey is primarily made up of the letters chet, mem, and resh. He saw the dog was made up of chaf, lamed, and bet and so forth and so on. And so if we now extrapolate to back to our discussion, when you have a Hebrew name, whatever that Hebrew name is, is a representation of your spiritual DNA. It is a hallmark of who you are. It can tell a spiritually sensitive being everything about you. That is why when one one prays for, say, the health of another human being, or you get called up to Torah. You don't get called up by your nickname, by your English name, your French name, or whatever other name you're known by. You're called up by your Hebrew name, and then the son of the Hebrew name of your father, if it's called up to Torah, you're still living, or if we're praying for the sick, your name and your mother's Hebrew name. And the reason why is because that whole thing, if just say, for example, it's Abraham ben Sarah, Abraham ben Sarah is your spiritual um, hallmark. It's exa- you are made up of an Aleph, a Bet, a Resh, a He, a Mem, and, and, and you came from a Shin, Resh, He. And, and people can actually work, uh, not people, spiritual people will know exactly who you are and what you are. That's why when one goes to a Rebbe or a very, very holy person, you don't sign it off like my name's Adel Kozilski and I live at, you put in your Hebrew name and they will know exactly who you are. Again, by extension, even further, um, when somebody is, God forbid, forbid, dangerously ill, we will add a name to them. Why would we add a name? And certainly it's not found in the medical books that adding a name helps a person. But we add a name like Chaim or Raphael because that then changes the spiritual makeup um, and muzzle of your of who you are and hopefully will allow um, only good decrees further on. And therefore, when we come to naming a child, it's not 
a willy-nilly thing. Okay, you may think that, yes, I've made up my mind to do X, Y, Z and ABC, but in truth, every person receives divine inspiration as to what to name their child in a, from, from a Hebrew perspective. And so when we are going to now look at the names of the Jewish people, um, or rather of the 12 tribes, we're going to now go through the um, various sons that Leah has. We've got to understand that even though she gives a reason as to why she named them what she named them, as we all do, we've all got reasons as to why we name our children whatever we name them, okay? Um, the bottom line is, is that it has a lot of uh, spiritual power and sometimes prophetic vision as to why she named them what she named them. So let's look now in chapter 29, verse 32. Vatahar Leah, so Leah uh, fell pregnant, Vateled Bain, and she um, had a son, Vatikrashmor Reuven, she calls him Reuven or Reuben, Ki Amra, because she said, Ki Ra'a Hashem Be'oni, Ki Ata Yehevani Ishi, you can now go and see um, that my, my, my husband loves me. Reu vein, if we break up the word re, reu vein to reu vein, it literally means reu si vein, that I have a son. Now, Leah has two reasons for giving this name. Firstly, she is quoted, as she is quoted in the Torah, that God saw her humiliation. She was feeling very unloved. She was feeling inadequate. God saw that, and now her husband loves her. And so basically, what she is also saying when she is naming her son Reuven, is she saying, you saw my humiliation, my suffering, so will you, Hashem, see the persecutions of my children when they are in exile. Reuven, they will see a son, meaning let the forces on high um, see my son and watch over him, and watch over his children. You are with 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. We're speaking about the naming of children, and we're looking into what Leia uh, named her first child, Reuven. So we said um, that first Reuven, meaning Reu, look, I have a bane, I have a son, it could also mean Reu Bain that in the future they will see a son. Let let God up on high um, see my son, watch over him and his children. A third reason was that it was prophetic. You could read it Reu Vain, Beis Yud Nun, which means look between. So you take the bet and the Nun Bain can mean between. So see between. And what was she trying to say? She was trying to say, see the difference between my son and the son of my mother-in-law. Who was she speaking about? About Asaph, who wanted to kill Yaakov for making him sell his birthright, right? Why? Because prophetically she saw that eventually Yosef would take over the birthright from Reuven. Reuven's now the oldest, but... Uh, the story will be that Yosef will take 
the birthright from Reuven, but Reuven would not be jealous of his younger brother. So again, here you can see three reasons as to why she named her first son Reuven. Also, just by the way, we are told that some say that um, she, she conceived on the very first night, even though that doesn't really concur with the fact that uh, she felt unloved and, um, and, 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 and barren. And for those who are in dates, Ruben was born on the 14th of Kislev in the year 2193 of the Jewish calendar, which corresponds to the 25th of November, 1569 before the Common Era. That's just a piece of trivia. Verse 33, Vatahar Od, she falls pregnant again. Vatele Ben, she gives birth to another son, Vatomer, and she says, Ki Shama Hashem, Ki Senua Anochi, because God heard that I was hated by Yitenvi Gam Etze. He gave me yet another son, Vatikra Shemo Shimon. She called him Shimon. Right? Shimon comes from the Shoresh of Shama, of hearing. And so she said, God heard Shama that I was unloved. And so she gave, he gave me this child. And again, this was a prophetic thing in that she was also praying, may God also hear my descendants' prayers when they are persecuted in Egypt. So now you can see that Reuven, that God saw that she was unloved, then God, then God heard that she was unloved. And um, I'm not sure, I haven't seen anything, but I'm sure that there is a connection with the fact of God seeing it and hearing it. As we know, seeing and hearing are two different faculties, okay? Um, and, and one has a much d d deeper um, thing to it than seeing. Seeing is believing. I saw it. Don't argue with me. Shammai is a much, much deeper form of, of, uh, of, of, of connection. Uh, again, a piece of trivia, if you want to know, Shimon was born on the 28th day of Tavis in the year 2194. 2194, that means two years. No, 2193. Was uh, was um, was Ruben. So she didn't really have too much of a gap. Um, she had probably about she had November, December, January. She had a 15 month gap. He was born in January the 26th, 1567, before the Common Era. Right, we've got Ruben. We've got Shimon, Reuben, and Simeon if you like to hear it in English, but Reuben and Shimon, we should use the Hebrew names, Vatahar Od, and she became pregnant again, this is the third time round, Vatahar Ben, she gives birth to yet another son, Vatomer, and she says, ishi elai. This time my husband will become Yilave, will become attached to me, ki yaladati loshloshabanim, because I gave birth to three sons, Alkan, Karashamo, Levi. Okay? Levi comes from the word Yilava, Lave, which means to accompany or to be a companion. And literally what Leah was saying was that my husband would now become a companion 
to me. Okay, very, very interesting here. There is a little bit of a twist. Because if you look um, at the way she named her other two sons, and I'm going to flip back looking at the text, you'll see that when it comes to Reuven, it says, Vatikra Shemo Reuven. Tikra is the feminine and she called. So it says, Vatikra Lo Reuven. She called him Reuven. Vatikra Lo Shimon. Called, she called him Shimon. But when it comes to Levi, it says, Alkain Karashimo Levi. And therefore his name was called Levi, which, which says or indicates that she did not name him like all the other tribes. How was he named? It said God sent the angel Gabriel and named him Levi. And that's why it says he therefore named him and not she named him as with all the other all the other tribes. Um, and as we said, Levi comes from the word Lave to, to accompany. And one, she knew and wanted that um, uh, Yaakov would accompany her. But her prayer was that now that I have three sons, I have completed my portion and I hope that the divine presence will be his companion and accompany him wherever he went. Now, here's the interesting thing. This is where Leah believed that she had fulfilled her duty. She knew by divine inspiration that there would be 12 tribes. She knew that Yaakov would have four wives, Rachel, Leah, Zilpah, and Bila. And so she believed she had fulfilled her quota. And that's why she said, now, you know, Yaakov's going to accompany me. He's going to be attached to me because I have fulfilled my quota and I have done what I have to do. But Tahar Od says, verse 35, but she becomes pregnant again. But Taled Ben, and she gives birth to another son. But Tomer, and she says, Hapa'am Oide et Hashem. This time I am going to, I thank Hashem. This time, let me praise Hashem. Alken Karashem or Yehuda. He calls her Yehuda, but Ta'amod Mileded, and then she stops having children. Now, uh, Yehuda, very interestingly in Hebrew, comes from the word Yada, which means to thank. Now, surely she should have been thankful with the, uh, with the, uh, with, with everything else. Why is she only saying thank you now? You're going to have to wait and hang on in there because you are with 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Right, we were speaking about the fact that Leah actually thanks God for the fourth kid. Well, hello, why did you not thank God for the other three? So quickly, a parable that is given says there was once a Kayan. Uh, a priest, and he was in the field, and a man came along, and he gave him a large boss, basket filled with the tithes that a person's obligated to give. The coin takes it from him and doesn't thank him. And then just a few minutes later, another man comes to the coin and gives him a small measure of grain, and the coin says, thank you, thank you, and thanks him graciously. So the first man sees this, and he says to the coin, I gave you a large basket full. 
Why didn't you thank me too? You didn't even say thank you. But here comes this second man. He gives you a very small measure of wheat and you thanked him graciously. To which the coin replied, you gave me your tithe. If you hadn't given it to me, you would have had to give it to another priest. The other man gave me his own wheat. What, what, what is this parable saying? Basically that Leah knew that Jacob had four wives destined to have 12 sons. And according to this, her rightful share was therefore three sons. So now that she has a fourth son, God has given her more than her due. Um, and this was a far greater divine kindness than ever. The fact that she had had children before Rachel and therefore she thanks him. And by the way, this is where we Jews are called Yehudim. We are called Yehudim. We come from the, from, from, we get the name from Yehuda, which means that we are thankful. And so I want to leave this with you. You know, we are living in a very difficult time now. Um, life, life is stressful. Life is full of, of, of anxiety and fear. Let's step up to the plate and let's behave like Leah and thank God. Thank God every single day for what we've got, for what he has, God has bestowed upon us because positivity breeds positivity. And with that note, I'm going to leave you and wish you a wonderful, wonderful week ahead. See you next time, next week.